Welcome to Jubilations, a Judaic podcast intended to educate, inspire, and motivate your hungry Jewish mind. Each week, Jubilations dives into the minds of influential Jewish people, speaking powerful words of wisdom. Rabbi Lockett, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Rabbi Lockett is the senior rabbi at Bet Shalom in Minnetonka, Minnesota. And he's joining Jubilations today, and I'm very excited to have him on. How is your day today? It's going very well. Great. It's a great day. Great. Your life has revolved around being a Jew. You are part of numerous Jewish organizations and always have been. Did you always know you wanted to be a rabbi? My parents or my grandparents, if they were still alive with blessed memory, would say that I always thought I wanted to be a rabbi. But I think that when I was young, I talked about wanting to be a rabbi like some kids talk about wanting to be firemen. <laughs> there, you know, it was something that I looked up to. It was, it was, you know, the rabbi was somebody who impressed me and and I enjoyed being around and, and I wanted to emulate. I don't think it was until later that all the pieces came together for me and I realized that it was really truly what I wanted to do. Was there a particular point in your life that made you notice that? Was there something that happened that made you notice that? You know, I was always um, very connected to the Jewish community all throughout high school and then in college. And um, when I was in college, I had a, a somewhat difficult time figuring out what I was going to major in. And I moved around. I changed my major a number of times. I would have been somebody who would have benefited from them charging money or a fine every time you changed your major. But my senior year, I still hadn't really figured out what I was, what my degree was going to be. And I went in to speak to a guidance counselor in Madison and said, you have to help me figure out how to graduate. Um, I'm clearly going to need to go to graduate school, but I, I, you know, I can't spend more time here than, than the four years. And you know, she took out a worksheet. This was before things were on the computer. She took out a worksheet, started you know, graphing things out. And she said, you realize you only need one more class in Hebrew and Semitic studies, and you can declare that as a degree. So the whole time that I wasn't able to determine what my focus was, my interest, my you know side interest, where I was always taking classes for fun, happened to be in Hebrew and Semitic studies, and I didn't realize that I had actually majored in it essentially. So that Funny. that was one particularly, you know, point of poignance in in my experience. But um, then I, I moved to Chicago, and I spent three years as the assistant director of our movement's camp in Wisconsin. That's really. And part of my responsibility was um, recruiting. And so I went all over the Midwest to synagogues and had a chance to really be inside of about 100 synagogues during a three-year time. And so I had a chance to talk to every single one of those rabbis and um, hear what it was like to be one. And many of them felt that it was not something that I should do, that that it was a very difficult life. And if they could have done something else in retrospect, maybe they would have. But uh, many of them were very encouraging and thought it was a, a great thing to do with one's life. And, and so it, I, ultimately, I went to rabbinical school not to be a congregational rabbi. I went because at the time, the Union for Reform Judaism was hiring only rabbis to be camp directors. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow, I love that. It was a short-lived policy. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't remember anything like that, but that's wonderful. Good idea, though. Right. But how interesting is it that you that you actually got negative feedback from some people about being a rabbi, but you still, you were still on the positive end of it and knew that that was where you wanted to go with your journey. Yep. I love that. Also a great role model as well that the, 
the year I started rabbinical school, my sister completed rabbinical school. Oh, that's always helpful. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I love that. Your parents must have been so proud. <laughs> at my sister's ordination, a, a reporter came up to us and had heard that uh, that um, we were siblings and that we were both going to be rabbis. And you know, she asked us what you know, what was the cause? What, what, what was the reason? And my mother sort of jumped in between us and started talking about, you know, how connected our family was. And you know, I think it was certainly certainly our family. But, um, you know, our experiences growing up at Temple Israel and um, religious school was very positive for us and youth group was very positive and camp i think camp was a huge influence yeah that can that can just make us who we are yeah is how i feel about camp for sure how how has being a rabbi shaped your life well being a rabbi is my life so um it's uh it has shaped my life in that it is it is one of those kinds of um paths that doesn't have a beginning to the day and doesn't have an end to the day um i'm very fortunate that uh, my wife is uh, very supportive. Um, there are times when there have been times, although not recently, but there have been times when I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't do any more that day. I couldn't, you know, I'll go to the hospital tomorrow, and she would turn to me and say, you know, you really got to go now. Oh, so isn't that I, nice? Yeah. Wow. I've been I've been fortunate to have the support from her and our two daughters. You know, they don't know any different, and so they um, they also I think enjoy the 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 role that i have i think that they they're both very connected to their judaism and and the synagogue and so it has shaped my life and that it is it has really become my family's life over the past 14 years absolutely it's one of those jobs that you marry that job yeah it's your it's your life it's everything as a minneapolis native was your goal to come back to minnesota you know it was not only because i assumed that it was never going to be a possibility um, I think it's very, it's almost impossible to go be the rabbi at, at the synagogue you grew up at. So um, Temple Israel was never, never a possibility for me, um, even though I have, you know, very fine, you know, I credit so much at Temple Israel for, for where I am today. Uh, and my last year of rabbinical school, when I was um, starting placement, I happened to be on the phone with my dad and he said, any chance you're going to come home? And I said, no, there's zero chance. I really think there's only one synagogue there that's the right fit for me, and they're not they're not looking for anybody. And then two weeks later, Beit Shalom, you know, advertised that they were entering placement. Was that what you meant by yeah. the one looking? Really? Yeah. It's funny how things work. Yeah. Why did you not think, you know, I guess if I was in the situation of finishing and I wanted to come back home, I would probably want to go to the synagogue I was raised at, and that wasn't what did you hear things did you think of things that it just seemed it would be odd or did you ever hear the phrase that you can't you can't be a prophet in your own city look rabbi zimmerman came when i was in ninth grade and i was very involved in the youth group so many of the key leaders over there are people who were leaders in my adolescence and um you know what they they tell you in rabbinical school and i think they're not wrong that's very difficult to to sort of attain the status of rabbi in a community that has seen you as a child and an adolescent. You were yeah. lucky. You were lucky that that happened and it was the way yeah. it was supposed to be. And, and I'm also very lucky that, that uh, you know, not being a Temple Israel, Rabbi Zimmerman, who was the, the rabbi of my high school years, along with Rabbi Black and others, um, continues to be a great support and a colleague to me and, and uh, somebody I turn to. Awesome. That is a good part about that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so in January of 2016, so two years ago, is when you became senior rabbi at Bet Shalom. Right. 
Do you feel like you were ready to do that? You had been doing it for quite a while, but did you feel that you were ready for that? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm not sure I was so ready for some of the things that would come after that, but um, we can come back to that. I, you know, I, I, um, I do feel I was ready and I did feel I was ready. I uh, watched a number of my classmates uh, move on to become senior rabbis much sooner than I did because they were moving from maybe their first job or their second job to a different congregation. And my wife and I had decided early on that I wasn't going to make a move if I was if I was able to stay. And it wasn't cl clear from the beginning that I was able to stay. Uh, Bet Shalom has a, has a policy that, that the second rabbi is only here for uh, three or four years, uh, and then the the congregation can can you know put that rule aside. But the idea being that we're constantly getting um, sort of new rabbis coming through the system every few years, and so we had decided that if I could stay, we would stay at least as long as I needed to in order to follow the rules of the movement. That I could go to a congregation that would be the size of a congregation that, that I could then stay at forever. We only wanted to make one move if that was possible. We stayed, um, you know, that was, I think at the time, the union requirement was seven years or eight years to go to, you know, to open the doors to any size congregation. So we were gonna stay that long anyway. And then um, as we got closer to the end of that period of time, um, there started to be discussions about what would happen and when, when would Rabbi Cohen retire and those kinds of things. And so I think I stayed a little longer as the associate rabbi than most people do in that role. Uh, but it was because I had my eye on, on what was coming next. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, it just gives you more strength, I suppose, and yeah. more knowledge. And it, allowed, it allowed for there to be a true transition from Rabbi Cohen to me um, that wasn't, wasn't jarring as much for the congregation because I had deep relationships with people. I wasn't coming in new. I'd been around for, for more than 10 years when I became senior rabbi. Which is very special. It's yeah. very special. What was it that we were going to come back to? A couple of big things come to mind. Very early on when I became senior rabbi, we realized that our preschool was failing and um, was causing a huge financial drag on the congregation. And um, it wasn't any, any one reason or any one person's fault, but it had just been we essentially we had graduated a very large class to kindergarten and we weren't getting kids in on the young end and um, we had really some existential discussions about where we were going to go with the preschool and ultimately decided that we were going to do a strategic plan and, and revamp it and start an infant room and sort of refocus and um, it was a very ended up being very exciting but it was a little scary I mean we had um, so that and that happened almost right away. We identified that almost right away when I became senior rabbi. And then um, I would say the other really big uh, factor was um, a year after I became senior rabbi on January 8th, 2017, uh, our cantor of blessed memory came to me and told me that she thought she needed um, to take some time away to, to recuperate. And I just remember thinking, well, gosh, I hope I hope it's just a little time away. But of course, it didn't end up being just a little time away. It ended up being the beginning of forever. Yeah. So that was uh, that was an unexpected um, difficulty that um, I could never have really prepared for. I'm sorry yeah. about that. On a brighter note, can you recall your favorite sermon that you have given? Hmm. Oh, you know, we don't give so many formal sermons sermons over here at Betchalom. We do a lot more talking off the cuff um, to. You know, try to keep it into a reasonable time period for people during our services on Friday nights. But one of the sermons that I gave that has 
become probably my most famous sermon. Um, and I won't go back and read it. I don't, I don't like to, I don't like to hear my voice um, recorded. I don't like to watch video of myself. I don't like to reread sermons that I've given because um, there's no reason to go back and pick myself apart after the fact. But I gave a sermon oh, probably 10 years ago on um, environmental conservation on the High Holy Days. And um, it, gave, it, it became a very famous sermon because of some things that I talked about in it, um, like doing silly, simple things like, you know, thinking about how many paper towels you pull out in the bathroom to wipe your hands. And, um, you know, people for years would say to me, oh, I only use two paper towels. I only use one paper towel. Uh, but also I had just bought a scooter at that time. Um, and I drive it, you know, I've, I've put almost 4,000 miles on my scooter, just driving it back and forth from the synagogue to my home. And um, so people still to this day, you know, will come up to me in February and say, hey, Rabbi, did you drive your scooter today? I love it. It, you know, you sort of, it's, it's rare that you get known by something. And that was sort of my coming out as an environmentalist. Um, and I think everybody knows that's something I care deeply about because of going all the way back to then. And we've, we've done some, it's given me a chance to, to go back to it and reprise it in different ways. A few years ago when it was the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, or Shemitah, the sabbatical year, um, my wife grudgingly but uh, ultimately let me um, let our front yard go fallow. Did she really? It's yeah. pretty freaky. <laughs> it is. And, um, and we don't, you know, we don't use any fertilizers or chemicals or anything in our yard. And, and so it was, it was quite an eclectic collection of plants growing in my front yard. I wanted to let it go forever, but I agreed to only, only do it for one summer. So, well, just one summer would be helpful in this world, right? Right. For all of us. I thought it was so wonderful. The fabulous YouTube video that the clergy in the Twin Cities did. And then, of course, we see the one that they did at the Super Bowl. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love that. So where did who got from what was it? Did they see so, yours? Did somebody well, know so about that? I'm not in, I'm not entirely sure. Um, you know, I was invited to be a part of the, the commercial simply because I'm a member of the Minnesota Rabbinical Association. Um, but I'm, you know, Beit Shalom out in the western suburbs is not a part of the collective of downtown congregations that was actually um, promoting an event that, that, that that's really what that commercial was for. Um, so from what I know, um, Rabbi, Rabbi Davis, Alexander Davis, he had this idea of using the Super Bowl as a way to you know, create a statement and, and to publicize the statement. And he went to the, to the committee, the local NFL committee, and, and pitched the idea. And they liked it enough that they put some resources behind it. And I think they paid for the, the camera crew. I mean, we were, there was like three hours of a camera crew. And then they, I mean, there were probably, you know, that, that, that commercial got um, edited down to 60 seconds, but there was probably two to three hours of video that went into it. And so, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but when he sent out the, you know, this, this is going to be fun, let's all do this. And so I was free on that day and I went to do it. And um, being a part of it was great because it was the atmosphere amongst these interfaith clergy while we were, you know, sitting around the locker room, literally, uh, while um, there were individual videos being done or this group of people was next and so on. So there was such a, a camaraderie in the space. It was great. We're talking about having a reunion. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. But well, it was, it was, you know, all of the credit goes to, to Rabbi Davis. And 
I saw that I saw the commercial during the Super Bowl and I thought to myself, they stole his idea. <laughs> well, and I think the, the beauty of it was it was a bunch of us having fun together. It wasn't a serious theological discussion. It was just, you know, we were just being people together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so okay. on a cold winter day, what does Rabbi Lockett's love to do, whether it be you alone or whether it be with you and your wife and your beautiful daughters? We are, you know, we love being home. So um, it's, it's sometimes difficult to, to get us out of our house when nobody has anything to do. Um, so tip, you know, I, if it's a Shabbat afternoon or a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon and nobody has anything going on, which is rare, uh, you probably find the four of us sitting in our house with a fire going and uh, either watching a movie or each of us reading. Uh, we like we like to be at home and we have we have created a, a very comfortable place for us to spend time together. Uh, but, you know, I like to go out to eat um, an occasional movie. I really like anything. I think it says this in my bio, anything having to do with a lake. So I also um, would always accept an invitation for ice fishing or going on a snowmobile or something like that. So my older daughter is a um, very accomplished figure skater. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So um, we uh, I've actually had the privilege of performing in two father-daughter skating routines with her. Wow. And uh, and then this year, we have we have eight acres of land at Betchalome, and about three acres of it is wetland. And so we took one of the ponds, and we, we made an ice rink at the synagogue this did year. Did you? Oh, yeah. gosh. How cool is that? So yeah. did it, did it uh, is it nice? I mean, like, do you have yeah. to do anything to make it smooth? or? Well, so we, we've learned a lot. Next year, it's going to be better. Um, but this year was, I've, I've been saying for 10 years that I wanted to do this and I kept being told that the insurance company wouldn't allow it. And then oh. I just called them directly and said, can we do this? And they said, of course. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so, um, I had somebody in the congregation who has done a, a skating rink in his backyard and he, he really helped. He, he was the one who, who initiated it this year and we learned a lot and I would put it in a, in a different spot on the pond next year where the water's a little deeper, but you know, we've had it open for skating after Sunday school and before Friday night services. And it hasn't totally caught on yet, but people like the idea. I love it. Yeah. I mean, what a great way, something that you can brag that your shul has, you know, right. well, we have an ice skating rink in the backyard. Right. Right. <laughs> do right. you, you have a little, uh, you like a little bit of music? You like to do you play I anything? Music. I or play you, guitar. Do you? Yep. Um, for the past few years, the only time I play guitar is during services. Wow. Um, Nice but, though, and especially in the absence of a cantor, um, I've I've been using it a lot more. Um, but yeah, my my musical influences are um, anything from from Cat Stevens to the Grateful Dead. Ah, a lot. Very yeah. campy. Very yes, campy. Very much. I love <laughs> I love the sound of an acoustic guitar. I like and I like jam bands. So the Grateful Dead is my go-to. Wow. So Rabbi, what do you see as the future for Judaism. How do we define the synagogue for the next generation? I think that our synagogue models are a little outdated. Um, when I became senior rabbi, I said, I think I've got about 10 years to figure out exactly what the synagogue is going to look like for the next generation, or we're going to start to wind it down. And um, we are very much positioning ourselves to figure that out. We don't have the answers yet. Uh, everybody's very worried about millennials. I'm not so worried about millennials. Um, the millennials that I talk to um, are very proud of their Jewish identity and, and um, you know, whether they formally have joined the synagogue or not, they, they, they think of the synagogue as being an important 
uh, place, and you know they'll they'll support the community when they're called upon to support the community. So I'm not so concerned yeah. about that. Um, so, true. so true. I think that that so much of Jewish identity, at least through my generation, has had to do with the Holocaust and um, and and Israel's um, existence. That uh, those things don't resonate in the same way with with younger people today. And so I think that Judaism persists because we're able to to uh, help people understand that that it's a way of of celebrating life and a way of framing life and giving life a way of of experiencing it through meaning, meaningful rituals and teachings as opposed to, you know, the guilt that comes with uh, Holocaust identity and, um, and Israel. So many people were taught that they can't ever question anything that happens in Israel. You know, Beit Shalom is one of the strongest Israel congregations in town, I believe, but we still criticize. think that that's important for, for young people to, to see and to hear and to understand that um, you can have a complicated relationship with Israel as long as we hope you have a, a relationship with Israel. Yeah. Rabbi Lackets, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you being on Jubilations. Thank you. Thank you for inviting thank me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Jubilations. May you go from strength to strength.